Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Bard, and that's right, we are Wagering Week. You guys can get in touch with us, 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N, Facebook and Twitter. It's Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S-G-N, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. That's how you hear us. This week, we're going to go over a little bit of the college football news. Of course, we do have some future talk. That is bet to the future and what are the odds. But we have a very special guest. I want to talk about that big Rams-Seattle game this week. So Doc Halliday, host of the Believe in the Rams on the Believe Podcast Network, joining me, former Rams running back. He does a show with Hall of Famer Isaac Bruce. Tom, what's up, man? How you doing, man? Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. I have to tell you, I completely undersold this Rams team. Uh, I I didn't see them in this position, and now maybe I'm overselling them. I think in a wide-open NFC, they're flying under the radar. Top 10 defense, top 10 offense. Tell me about how you feel about this season. Hey, Tom, I'm actually like you, man. I was kind of... Uh... I wasn't underselling them. I think I was overselling them, man. And now they've kind of disappointed me a little bit. But this is one of those. The Rams is a team, man, that uh, if they can put it all together, man, and just play consistent football, they are one of the best teams in the NFL. Well, they are one of the harder teams to beat in the NFL. That's if Jerry Goff is being consistent, man. And that's if they're playing consistent football. Because as you said, man, they have a defense that's playing extremely well right now. When you look, you know, look at total yards, man, number two overall, in the NFL, and I don't think any, you know, many people saw that coming. They know what we have in Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, but as a unit, I don't think many people saw that this defense playing as well as they played so far. I didn't even see it coming in. As far as the offense is concerned, it's good to see Jerry Goff make some things happen, man, but they just have to play with some consistency, and if they play with some consistency, Hey, they can really, really make some noise, man, in the in the NFC and also in the NFL. You know, it's good that you mentioned the defense because I want to start there. We had Wade Phillips on the show uh, right after he was let go, and Wade Phillips to me was an icon. He's a genius, and and how could you possibly let this guy go? And I knew that they were switching defensive schemes and all of that. Look. You know, it'll fly under the radar because he's not Wade Phillips getting fired. But, I mean, let's talk about the defense here. Aaron Donald, sure, you got one guy up front, and you have Jalen Ramsey who you feel comfortable with. I dare the casual fan to mention a third player on this team. So talk to me about the defense. Hey, man, you, you, made, you made a good point, man, because I have to force myself at times, me and Isaac, we have to force ourselves at time, man, to talk about somebody other than Aaron Donald. And, and we, I don't even really, you know, really mention Jalen Ramsey too much because he does his thing and he only has one pick, but we don't have many people that really bothers him. But, uh, you you know, you have a guy like Michael Kaiser, man, linebacker. He flies around. He's very athletic, man. He has some speed. He has some closing speed. He can be physical when he needs to be physical. So he's a guy that's been making some, uh, some good plays for us. And Leonard Floyd. He's played well the last couple of games, man. So we needed somebody, and we need somebody other than those two guys doing some things. And as a unit, they've done that because what ends up happening is that even though Aaron Donald, man, with his nine sacks or whatever, man, so far just absolutely destroying cats, uh, that leaves room for other players uh, on those first two levels, man, defensive line and linebackers to make some plays. And you've seen them do that, and we really haven't given up too many big plays. So – uh, you know, we get Jordan Fuller back, man. That young fella, that rookie is uh, playing well. Uh, he was playing well before he got hurt. He's missed the last couple of couple of uh, couple of games, and 
looks like Asan Robinson, the defensive tackle, he'll be playing this this Sunday. So he's going to add some more value to that defense. But you just have those guys. You have Aaron Donald doing those things, and you have Jalen Ramsey doing this thing. Uh, and cornerback then as a unit, you have nine other guys playing together, man, playing as one fifth. So I think think that's where the majority of the success of this defense is coming from because you know what those two dudes are going to do, but the rest of those dudes are playing together. You know, you mentioned Jalen Ramsey, and, and I've been a fan. My wife is a Florida State alumni, so I've been a fan all the way since he was, uh, you know, killing it in Florida State. I like the guy, but one of the more surprising things that happened during this year is when Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs basically said, we're going to pick on you, and they went right after him. Does that worry you in the playoffs if they have to face a guy like Hopkins and Murray, uh, Thomas and Breeze, uh, uh, Evans and Brady? When you get to the playoffs, are teams going to watch that film of Diggs and Allen and what they did and try to attack Jalen Ramsey? I think the problem with Jalen sometimes, man, he knows how good he is, and sometimes that can be a, a hindrance. That can cause you some problems, and that has caused Jalen some problems because even against Chicago, he was beaten a couple of times, man. It's just that they got pressure on the quarterback, and the quarterback couldn't get the ball out. I think sometimes he relies on his instincts and his athletic ability too much, and he oversells, and sometimes he takes some chances, and he does get beat. You know, we've seen him get beat a couple of times, uh, this year where they actually competed some passes on him. And you brought up what Buffalo was doing. So, you know, when I face a guy like that, man, if I was on the other side playing offense, hey, when I was playing ball, I'm like, it's like, I don't, you know, I don't really give a damn how good you are, bro. I'm coming at you. I'm going to make you earn that money. Somebody got to make him earn that money. So when you have somebody like Buffalo and they got Stephon Diggs, because Stephon Diggs is like, look, man, I'm a number one receiver. I don't give a damn who they got covering me, man. I don't care if it's Jalen. I don't care if it's primetime Dion. He was give me the ball, throw me the ball, man. So because when you do that, you're showing much more faith and trust in your receiver than you are in that cornerback. So yes, it does concern me, but it only concerns me if he plays, you know, try to play too much above himself. He needs to stay within his game. Don't be, take so many chances and don't be so confident or overconfident in his athletic abilities because sometimes they cause you to get out of position and sometimes it cause you to read things wrong, which he has and cats get behind them. You know, I often say uh, certain lines <laughs> and sentences that I get one half of a fan base that rips me apart because they infer the way I say it, and then the other half rips me apart for the other way. And I'm going to just say this, and I want you to comment because you mentioned Jared Goff, to me, is just fine. He's just fine. And you can infer that how you want. That's not a negative. It's not a positive. Is, is that how you feel about Jared Goff? Because I know you mentioned him briefly. He's, to me, he's just fine. Hey, hey man, you know what? Uh, yeah, you're right. You know, Rams fans are whatever is sensitive when you, when, they talk, when you come talking about Jared Goff. And I, I wasn't like that early in the year. I was like, he's not getting enough credit. But Jared's problem is, man, is that sometimes he, yeah, I mean, what you say is, is right because I know Isaac said something a couple of weeks ago, and he was like, you know, Jarrett should be in the MVP conversation. And now I'm like, hell no, hell to the no, no, not now he should. Because it's kind of – and he's the one that I'm talking about that needs to be more consistent because what happens when the Rams are running the football and they have to run the football. They have to – he plays best when they are running the football. And I, I give a stat and I, I, I stick to it. When the Rams run the ball at least 30 times, their chances of going up go all the way up. I mean, from this season to last season, I think the percentage of them winning ball games, if they run the ball at least 30 times, is like 92 93%. So Jared, is, he's more than fine if they're doing the play action, if they're bootlegging. 
if they're, if they're handing the ball off, if they're keeping him a clean pocket, if he's able to get out and have a straight vision and a straight sight line to his receivers and don't be standing back there uh, two seconds of taking five and six yards drop. When he's taking five and six yard drops and he's pressured, he's not fine. Now, but when he's able to do his play action and his misdirection and his bootleg, he's more than just fine because that's how he plays. You have all those receivers running those under routes, those crossing routes, and they're coming wide open. So uh, sometimes Jerry Goff is fine, so you're correct on that. Sometimes he's not fine. We all are correct on that, but sometimes he's above fine. It just all depends on what Jerry Goff you're going to get, man. And he's the one that we have to uh, be consistent, that has to play consistent uh, for the Rams to make any noise and to win any ballgames. Well, I think he's going to be fine this week. The Seattle has a historically, historically bad defense. Uh, the Rams have averaged almost 34 points per game against them against the last five games. They've gone 4-1 and one against them. Seattle is on pace to obliterate the NFL record for most yards allowed by more than 1,000. The record's only 4,796 right now. They're, they're going to go over by 1,000. So he's going to be fine this weekend. But let me ask you this, though. So um, when you sit back, Doc, and, and you go, who should be the running back? I think that's the big question that Rams fans have. And I know that I'm in fantasy communities that are going, you know, let Akers try to have a shot. I like Henderson. I like Brown. I like the three-headed attack. And I can't believe I just said I like a running back by committee. But I kind of do. How do you lean with this running back three-headed attack? Look, man, I'm going to tell you something. I'm a running back. I play running back. I hate it. I hate it when I play even though I can see what they're doing, man. If you're going to do it, give me two running backs. And watching the Rams play, Daryl Henderson is RB1 for me because he's physical, he's strong, he's, he's a lot faster than people can give, give him credit for now. He's very capable of breaking one off 60 or 70 yards, even though we haven't seen that yet. But this dude is a big play receiver. You know, I played at Memphis, Isaac played at Memphis, Daryl played at Memphis, so you know I'm going to talk him up. When he was at Memphis, it was almost like he was averaging his last year 10 or 11 yards to carry. So, but the problem is the Rams don't give him the ball enough. If Daryl got the ball at least 20 times a game, I guarantee you he would be averaging close to 100 yards, if not 100 yards, a ball game. So I'm, I'm a proponent of let Daryl run the rock, let him be RB1, give him his 20 carries a game, let Malcolm Brown come in there. Or if Malcolm Brown is not in there because Cam Akers is, you know, he's probably the best natural running back that they have. But when he goes with that, a lot more it's a lot more to playing running back in the NFL man Cam Makers has the no blocking responsibilities and the speed of the NFL and all these these different things uh that ties into that so I think that's why we're not well I know for a fact that's why people aren't seeing more Cam Akers because pass protection man you got to be able to protect the quarterback you got to know your blocking assignments and you got to know every run play every pass play you got you have to know those things and the speed of the game and the, the mental stress that it, it, it causes and takes on you, that's why we don't see Cam. So that's why I'm right now, look, the Rams are 5-3, and 5-3 and three, half of the season gone. Now, Sean McVay, you know what everybody can do, man. Damn all this putting people in, let's try some things. Now is the stretch run. You got eight more games. I'm one of those, man. I want them, I want them to just play Daryl and Malcolm as much as possible and let those two dudes run, uh, run the rock and take care of the running game because right now, is when they really have to make some noise because, look, you know, this week it's a, a NFC West game. We, the first NFC West uh, uh, division game, we got beat by San Francisco, so the Rams really can't 
afford to lose this game at all. That's one of the more insightful answers that we've had because, yeah, I watched him at Florida State. Like I said, I watched Cam Akers also, and he had pass protection problems in college. The guy, all you see is is the highlight video. Go, oh, my God, look at how good this guy is. Yeah, but he's got to be able to pick up the blitz. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, last question for you, Doc. Uh, again, we're on the phone with Doc Holliday, former Rams player uh, and former Rams running back after that answer. Believe in the Rams on the Believe Podcast Network. <laughs> Home field. The stadium looks awesome. I haven't gotten a chance to, to actually see it, obviously. Really, nobody has, and that's the point. How do you think that yeah. this affects them come playoff time with no fans in the stadium? Imposing stadium, no fans. I've heard things like it's eerily quiet. It's it's actually kind of dreadfully quiet in there because the stadium's so big. What's your take on the home field? I, I mean, you really don't have it, man, especially when you when – let's say, let's say they face Seattle or whatever. I mean, they don't have far to fly. Neither one of them has far to fly. Now, when you have somebody coming from across the country and they have to come to California, maybe from New York uh, uh, or from, from the coast, from Florida, something, that's a different story. But uh, it's really not a home field advantage because you don't have your fans in there. And I can't even imagine, and we talk about this, man, I can't even imagine playing a football. Well, I, I take that back. I was going to say I can't imagine playing a football game where it's eerily quiet, but I had to remind myself. Actually, when, when you're playing, when you're on the football field, and you're really, really focused, and you're really, really zoomed in, zoomed in, and tuned in, you don't hear the fans. Because I never, I never used to hear the fans until like before the in between plays. You never really hear. If, if you're really into the game and you're focused, you really don't hear the fans. So, uh, but I think it does take a home field advantage away, man, because when you're on the sideline, you don't have fans heckling you and saying things to you and kind of distracting you. So, and you don't have all that noise because every everybody on every football player on the field is not as tuned in, as focused as they should be. So they're not, you know, they're letting all these other things distract them. So uh, it's really not a home field advantage uh, being a big stadium like that. And it's just, it's just, it's quiet as dust, man. So I, I, I would, I couldn't imagine playing in it. I wouldn't want to, but you know, um, We'll see, man. I, I like it because it's just 11 versus 11, and you don't have anybody to blame but yourself. Uh, it should be a fun one, that's for sure. Seattle Rams, and this is an important one. Doc, thank you so much for your time. Doc Holliday, former Rams running back, host of the Believe in the Rams of the Believe Podcast Network. He hosts a show with former Ram great Isaac Bruce. We'll be back right after this with more Wanna Bet Weekend Edition. Winning season returns at my bookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means insane props, epic bonuses, and the craziest cross-sport wagers. All at my bookie. Winning season means watching live sports and betting. Live sports all season long. The NFL has returned. That means action-packed Sundays and huge cash prizes. Get in on the action. Use promo code WAGERWEEK and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free bet play designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Bet with the best this NFL season for your chance to win big. Use the promo code WAGERWEEK and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie. This is Doc Holliday, co-host of the Believe in Rams podcast with Pro Football Hall of Famer Isaac Bruce, and you're listening to Wagering Week with my guy, my homie, Tom Barton. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get to gamble before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? 
What are the odds? Oh, I keep giving you the updates every week, guys. Might as well keep it going because we've had some movement. That is the NFL odds are tightening. At the top, Russell Wilson still holding on to his lead at plus 125, even after losing to Josh Allen and the Bills. Patrick Mahomes comes storming up. All of a sudden, Patrick Mahomes' numbers starting to look MVP-like. He's at plus 220. Aaron Rodgers is 4-1, to one, sitting at number 3. Josh Allen overtakes the number four spot. He was 28 to one last week, but in a head to head duel against Russell Wilson, goes down to 18 to one. Brady, after his terrible performance, back to back, I should mention, but all in the same week, Brady falls to 33 to one. Dalvin Cook, the first non quarterback, 33 to one. Murray, 33 to one. Big Ben's 33 to one. And Lamar Jackson, trying to do it two years in a row, all the way down to 50 to one. That is what are the odds? I keep telling you every single week, guys. Look, Cross, Cook off. Lamar's not coming back from this. Big Ben, I like his numbers. Now he's banged up. Uh, I said Brady was the guy, but you can't have two bad weeks like that and one on the main stage. I think, Brett, look, I'll, I'm willing to admit that I'm wrong, and that's one of the things that we do. Uh, Brady's done. As far as the MVP conversation, I don't think he could come back from this. No. So Murray is there at 33-1. to 1. I mean, I guess if he goes on a crazy Lamar, I can't say that nobody could do it because I watched Lamar do it last year. Right about this time, right about week 8, 9, 10 last year, all of a sudden, Lamar just went crazy. Murray could do it at 33-1. I don't love it. I, I'm holding a ticket for Allen, and I still think that he's not going to get there. You know, 28-1, to down to 18-1. to Preseason, he was 30-1, to and there were some places that you could get 50-1. to I just don't think so. Aaron Rodgers is not going to get it. Look, Aaron Rodgers is going to pad his stats this weekend, right, against Jacksonville. He's going to pad his stats like crazy, but 4-1 to is not doing it. It's a two-man race. This is Wilson or Mahomes. And last year at this time, back before week 10, I said it was Wilson or Lamar. But last week I did tell you I thought Mahomes was going to sneak up and grab this thing. So it's something to keep an eye on for sure. All right, let's talk about some of these NFL games. We're going to go rapid fire and go right through them here. Let's talk Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. Look, Pittsburgh is undefeated. We know that. Joe Burrow scares you, though. Big Ben banged up. The line dropped from 10 down to 7. This is a running game. James Conner's got to have a big game here. And I'm not even talking about Snell and McFarlane, who also should be okay. This is a James Conner kind of game. Cincinnati top three in the league against stopping the run. There's lots of holes to be had. And they want to they're just kind of eat the clock here, Pittsburgh does. Get out at home with a win. I think if this was in Cincinnati, I'd be a little nervous. Joe Burrow has covered in every single game but one in his career, which is, look, spanning nine games, sure. Give me Pittsburgh here to win the game, but I see the line. I see it touchdown or a little over a touchdown. It does make me nervous going up against a guy like Burrow. Washington, Detroit, the reason why this line was kind of in flux and even pulled off the board was we don't know about Stafford. You don't know about Galladay. On the same side, Washington's dealing with a third-string running back. Uh, I'm sorry, a third-string quarterback. It's going to be running back. I like their running backs, though. Look, I like Gibson. I like McKissick. I like McLaren. Washington's a dangerous team. They're very well coached. They play good defense. They're a dangerous team. Giving points to a dangerous team in this spot is is just a dangerous situation. Cleveland, Houston. Look, Cleveland has 11 covers in their last 35 games. And 11 those 11 covers, guys, you know, they're against bad teams. Well, Houston's a bad team. Houston's got two wins on the season. Those two wins both came against the Jaguars. So we can look at Houston. And Deshaun Watson's the best player on the field at all. 
all times. Yes, that is absolutely true. And Fuller and Cooks and Johnson, they have weapons on offense. They have the worst offensive line in the NFL. They have a just absolutely terrible defense. And Cleveland, while flawed, are they're just going to run the ball all day. They're fifth overall in rushing offense. Now they get Nick Chubb coming back. Do you believe that Houston can outscore Cleveland's running game? Cleveland's going to run it, shorten the clock. Can Deshaun Watson outscore them? I think Cleveland at home makes a lot of sense. Remember, this line was also pulled up because Baker Mayfield had COVID problems. How much did he practice? How much did you virtually practice? That's something to ask. Green Bay, Jacksonville. The line has gone from 13 and a half all the way up to 14, and I get it. Look, Green Bay is at home. Jacksonville, not only are they coming from beautiful, sunny Florida, they are now traveling up to gross, disgusting Green Bay, which is going to be 40 degrees. It's going to be rain. It's going to be nasty. Jacksonville is 0-9 straight up. And they have not covered in those nine games when they go and play anybody under 55-degree temperatures, which it clearly is here. But forget about all that. How about Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers is just a winning, scoring, cover machine at home. That's what he does. And now he goes up against Jacksonville, who has the 31st-ranked defense in the NFL. They're terrible defense. Their defensive backs are terrible. And you're going up against Jake Luton. Luton looked good last week, but now there's some film on him. The idea that there's a backdoor cover, you have to think that the team feels like that, right? A team emotionally is going to say, you know what, we're going to come back here. We're going to fight this and we're going to come back. I don't know if Jacksonville has any fight left in them. DJ Chark certainly does and I like Robinson, but outside of that, I don't know if they have a lot of fight in them. This is a game that could get ugly and ugly fast. How about Giants and Philly? Look, the Giants have looked good the last two weeks, but you start to question even that a little bit because the Giants look good against Tom Brady and Tampa Bay on Monday night in a game that they were at home, they got got up for oh sure they looked good but did they look good or did Brady and the Bucks look bad because now that's two games in a row that they've looked bad all that aside look Philly has covered this number uh just enormously they have beaten on the Giants they've won seven straight in the series the Giants haven't scored more than 17 in the last three games against Philly they have all kinds of problems now they're getting healthy Alshon Jeffrey might be back for this game Miles Sanders looks like he's going to be back for this game you have Dallas Goddard coming back for this game some offensive linemen are coming back for this game a healthy Philly is no contest for the Giants how healthy healthy. We'll see. I mentioned Tom Brady, Tampa Bay, minus five, five and a half against Carolina. Teddy Bridgewater is the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL against the spread as an underdog. There's no way around it. He did it again last week. He is without question. Statistically, numbers-wise, eye-test-wise, he's great. But he's going to be without Christian McCaffrey in this game. And Tampa Bay's coming in angry. I see all the money coming in on Tampa Bay, and the line really hasn't moved. As a matter of fact, the line, if anything, dropped from the opening number of six down to five and a half. Weird spot. Tampa Bay, yeah, you expect them to kind of just turn it on and recover, and with all that talent and Tom Brady, fix everything against Carolina. But it's a divisional home team getting points. Divisional rivalry game. Teddy Bridgewater game. It all worries me a lot. It worries me a lot to take Tampa. I think, to me, this is a Carolina or nothing game, and I see most of the money going to Tampa. How about Denver-Vegas? Vegas is a five-point favorite here. They've owned the series. They've owned Denver, and they are playing with a much better quarterback. If anybody isn't paying attention, Derek Carr is literally in the MVP conversation. You didn't hear me give him a list, right, when we did one of the odds, but that might be a slight... As far as AFC quarterbacks go, I have them for the MVP conversation. Yeah, look, I have number one Patrick Mahomes by far. Allen is two. And then, to me, it's Roethlisberger and Carr, who are both very, very close when it comes to stats. Vegas is going to have some success offensively against Denver. Can Denver and Drew Locke have success against 
Vegas defensively. Uh, you know, I don't know. How about on offense? Yeah, I think they are going to, though. The, the Vegas defense is 26 against the pass. It's just not a very good number. Lindsey and Gordon have to get a, more of a pass uh, rushing attack to open up that pass. Fant is a little banged up. There's a lot of problems in Denver. And then you just looked at the history and you just say Vegas has owned this series. How about Buffalo and Arizona? Line opened up at two and a half in favor of Arizona. People like Buffalo. You could still, there was a point in this week where you could still get it at two and a half or at one as far as it's gone down. So there's, depending on what sports book you're going to, a lot of difference of opinion. Kyler Murray is an explosive talent, and Hopkins we know about. I'm not buying into the fact that Edmonds is all of a sudden Mr. Everything. So they might have a little problem running the ball, but the Arizona defense is what worries me here. Chandler Jones being out cannot be good for this team. He just can't. He's not good for this team, him being out. So they're not able to create the pressure. That's one of the reasons why I like Miami last week, because they can't create the pressure to get on the quarterback. Now, Arizona's offense is going to be fantastic. We know that. How about Buffalo? Well, what is Buffalo? Well, Josh Allen looked fantastic last week. Stephon Diggs should have a field day here. They can't really get a running game going, although Moss looked better. Their defense, though, worries me. Their defense is giving a big chunk yards, big chunk plays. They can make a couple of plays out there. But overall, this defense, it's just not very good. Their defense is in a position where both of these teams should score and score it well. Well, the line opened up at 49 and a half, the total. It went up to 54, 55, 55 and a half. I'm seeing it 56 and a half in some spots. I see it a shootout. I certainly do. I can't take the over now that it's risen all the way up there. At 49 and a half, I liked it. 56 and a half, probably going to lay off. New Orleans, San Francisco. New Orleans is riding on high and they're getting healthy. The line opened up at six and a half, which I thought was a joke. I loved them minus six and a half. Now it's nine and a half. Don't like it so much. They're getting healthy. Michael Thomas is back. Sanders is back. And you watched it on the field. Here's the thing, though. I still don't believe that New Orleans defensively can stop anybody. All right, maybe not anybody because San Francisco is bad offensively. Nick Mullins is still in there. Uh, depending on where you want to read, is he the number two or the number three quarterback? They're still on the number two or number three running back. George Kittle isn't coming back anytime soon. Uh, you look on the defensive side, Nick is not coming back anytime soon. And, and same thing with Sherman. You look at San Francisco and you say, yeah, earlier in the season, they were looking good. Now they've given up 37 and 34 in back-to-back weeks. Their defense is crumbling. They're not able to keep teams off the field because their offensive line is not protecting and they're not running the ball effectively. Now, Brandon Ayuk will be back here. Kenneth Bourne will be back for this game. Yeah, sure. That's great. The reality, though, guys, is that they are just outmatched in New Orleans. And New Orleans is also looking at this game and looking at this game as home field. Remember, only one team gets home field this year. And New Orleans is looking at this and saying, we're either going to have to go up against Brady, we're going to have to go up against Rodgers, we're going to have to go up against Wilson, and we want them to come here. We want them to come here. And I think it's a big advantage. All right, how about Baltimore, New England? This is a, just a weird game where we might not see any pass. We might not see the, the forward pass might go away here because we have two running quarterbacks that just love to run. We know about Bill Belichick, who's getting seven points at home in this game in prime time. Oh, circle that. We know about Bill Belichick. He takes away your number one weapon. He takes away what you do really well, and he makes you do something that you don't do well. Well, it's pronounced here. Dobbins, Edwards, Ingram, they could run. Lamar Jackson can run. Can he throw the ball? Well, his own wide receiver, Hollywood Brown, questioned if he could throw the ball. 
His own guy said, I don't know if he could throw the ball. So the question is, can he throw effectively enough to beat New England? I'm not sure. But on the other side, Cam Newton, since his days in Carolina, when his back is against the wall and when he starts to play uh, and his team starts to play poorly, what does he do? He puts a team on his back and he just says, I'm just going to do it myself. Look at it against the Jets. Him running it into the end zone is not unusual. He's just going to try to do it himself. Now, New England comes in with a lot of injuries. Even Harris is now down. This is a game that the line I expected to be double digits. It's only seven. And you wonder how many people out there are still hanging on to the notion that Bill is the old Bill. Patriots are the old Patriots and Foxborough is the old Foxborough. It's not the case here. It's in prime time. I have to lean Baltimore. I don't like laying seven with a team that can't pass, though. All right. How about Miami and the Chargers? Maybe the most fun game of the week. You have Tua, number five overall QBR last week against Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert is putting up Patrick Mahomes type numbers. Patrick Mahomes type numbers over the first seven games of his career against Justin Herbert. You have about a three yard difference, one touchdown and one interception. That's what Herbert is. And he's doing this with a really bad coach. He's doing this with no semblance of a running game whatsoever. He's really doing this without a tight end. He's doing this without an offensive line. I mean, Justin Herbert is just out there flinging the ball all over the place. Miami? Well, Miami got by last week because Tua did step up. But in that game, you have to look at it. He doesn't have a running back. He lost Miles Gaskins before the game. He's dealing with guys like Patrick Laird as his starting running back. So they have no semblance of a running game. Miami also lost their number two wide receiver in Preston Williams, which I think is a bigger deal than people are making it out to be. So Tua against Herbert, this should be fun. Miami is a two and a half point favorite. You've seen the visions of the hurricane and the remnants of the hurricane coming in. I'm being told that there's going to be anywhere between 13 and 15 mile per hour wind gusts for this game. That's not that bad, though, guys. Both of these quarterbacks have a big enough arm to cut through that wind. When we talk about problems and we talk about weather, we often talk about nothing but the wind. Because you know what? I've talked to a lot of NFL coaches, a lot of NFL quarterbacks, and they all tell me, snow doesn't bother me. Rain doesn't bother me. Wind does. I don't think 15 mile per hour Augusta are enough with these two strong arm guys. And oh, by the way, neither one of these are guys that are going up over the top and dropping it into the bucket or skyscraping it, whatever you want to call that, like Russell Wilson does. They both like the intermediate routes and the short passing game. The line opened up at 47.5 on the total. It's up to 49.5. I think we do see some scoring. The wind gusts are just enough to maybe throw some people off. But the fact that neither one of these teams have a running game. You're talking about Kalen Balage and, and uh, you know, Laird is your number one and uh, number one running back against one and one. That's pathetic. So this is going to be one on the back of Tua or the back of Herbert. That's it. Now the Chargers, this is a long travel day. Oh, by the way, they got to go all the way from L.A. to Miami. So this makes a lot of sense. All right. Let's talk about Monday night, Minnesota-Chicago. The line opened at 2. It's crossed the 0. It's gone to 2.5. And and this is my PSA. What the hell are you guys doing? I am not telling you I love the Bears here. By no stretch of the imagination. I am not telling you. But to watch 80-some-odd percent of you go out there, flip a line this drastically. Why? Because you've liked what Dalvin Cook has done the last two games? Oh, Cook's he's cooking, man. Dalvin Cook is crushing it. Yeah, he is. And you just heard the MVP odds. People are loving Dalvin Cook. I get it. Everybody likes it. But let me just tell you what you're going out there and putting your money on. You're going out there and putting your money on Kirk Cousins, who is 0-9 on Monday Night Football, the worst record in the history of Monday Night Football for a starting quarterback. You're going out there and putting your money on Minnesota, who is 0-3 the last three times they've taken on Chicago. You're going out there and going up against Minnesota, who in the last 
last three games against Chicago have averaged 12 total points. And you're going out there and you're going putting all your eggs in the basket against Dalvin Cook who has averaged 28 rushing yards against the Bears the last three times he's seen them. Why? What happens is the Bears are completely and utterly selling out against Dalvin Cook. They are putting everybody on the line. They are blitzing. They are run blitzing. They are just coming 100% after them. And they are daring Kirk Cousins game after game after game. Daring Kirk Cousins to beat them. And guess what? Kirk Cousins is unable to do so. He's not able to beat this team. And he hasn't done it, and he hasn't performed like he can do it. So you guys are running to the ticket window to go flip a line from minus two to the other way? I'm seeing it minus three in some spots. I'm not telling you that this is an easy win or even that you should be on the Bears. But hesitate and hesitate long and hard to go out there and actually be on Minnesota. That is a problem here. Again, I'll say it for the guys in the cheap seats. Kirk Cousins is 0-9 all-time on Monday night. That's not a fluke, guys. That's with different teams, different scenarios. The guy is just not a big-time player under the lights. Something to pay attention to. Finally, my last thoughts, and I want to, again, thank Doc Holliday on Seattle and the Rams. Uh, Rams are a 1.5-point favorite here at home. You know, I think it's funny that me and Doc completely disagree with where we were and where we are. I was down on this team, and now I feel like they're better than they are. He was up on this team, and he doesn't like what he's, he's seen overall. So that's kind of interesting. What I do know is that Seattle is just absolutely pathetic on defense, and we're going to start to see more of what we watched last week where they put up 34 points, but a team puts up 44. And we're going to watch Josh Allen-type performances because this is the kind of defense that they have. I don't see Seattle just miraculously waking up and being a better defensive team. I do know that the Rams are a good defensive team, and I know that the Rams in this series own this series. I get that. They're just going to score a ton. I look at the 53.5 number shooting up to 55.5, and and I'm actually going, you know what? Might be undercutting it here. To me, this is one of those situations where you can play two sides and hope for the best. And let me explain. If you play the Rams here, minus the 1.5 and and the over, you're basically just betting on the Rams getting their points. So you bet kind of the double-sided here. Another thing to do for those that like this is team total. Bet the Rams team total. Hell, if it's 60, I, I, I mean 30, I might still go with it. And that would put a 60 line, which it's not. It's going to be 28 or so. You want the Rams to get four touchdowns. Well, they've averaged 34 points in the last five games against Seattle. Something to watch. And this is how you can manipulate sports betting and kind of find angles. You don't solely have to take the Rams. I'm not even telling you that the Rams are going to win. But I'm pretty confident the Rams are going to get damn close to 30 points here. And with a total at 55 and a half and minus one and a half, I might double-sided thinking, well, you know what, I might split, Seattle might win, uh, or the Rams defense comes up big. I don't see a scenario, though, where Seattle's defense comes up big against the Rams who are off of a bye week, and McVay who had a week to prepare, and McVay who kind of owns this situation. That's why I want to have Doc Holliday on, because I thought he would give good Rams insight, and this is looking like one of those plays this week where I'm not giving you a free play, I'm not telling you to go out there and bet, but I'm showing you how to navigate the waters. I will probably take all three that I just told you. I'll probably be on the Rams, the over, and the Rams team total. If I see a good team total, if I see a team total at 27, 27 and a half as the day gets on, uh, I'll be on just that. So you have to navigate the waters, and this is how you go. All right, guys, that is all a little bit in the future. So let's go bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. 
Bet to the future. Bet to the future. Heisman odds, they are a moving. Yeah, look, COVID problems, injuries, all these things are playing a role. But at the end of the day, we're looking at straight numbers. And Justin Fields is now leading the field at plus 125. Mac Jones and his phenomenal come from out of nowhere, it seems. He is at 150. Trevor Lawrence all the way down to a plus 450 underdog, you could call him. Kyle Trask plus 600. Ian Book is 2,000. Devontae Smith, 22. 22 to 1. Zach William Wilson is 22 to 1. 24 to 1 is DeAngre King. 33 to 1. Najee Harris. 50 to 1 is Brock Purdy. That is bet to the future. Uh, guys, look, I, I've talked to you about the Heisman quite a few times. I have written articles about <laughs> the Heisman. I think you hand it to Trevor Lawrence, and it doesn't matter that he's missed a couple of games. That's just my opinion. Look, he is the best player in college football. But if your argument is, well, he doesn't have enough you know, tape and this, look, then it's Zach Wilson. There's nobody in this country that is playing better football than Zach Wilson, who's 22 to 1. But remember, we talk about this a lot on this show throughout my career. I make sure to understand, look, you have two different kind of bets when you're betting uh, anything. You have substantial fact numbers, the end, boom, bam, done. Scores are like this. Totals are like this. Who leads the league in blah, blah. This is what it is. And then you have voting on MVP, Cy Young. Defensive Player of the Year, Heisman Trophy. These are voted on. So there is the perception that there is absolutely some user error that could be included. There is uh, an idea of, well, I see them on TV a lot. Uh, well, this guy plays at BYU. It's not a big school. That happens a lot. So we talk about in baseball, there's an anti-Yankee bias. I thought a couple of years ago, and yes, I will die on this hill, that Keenan Reynolds was the best player in, in college football, but he didn't even get invited to the Heisman ceremony. So you look at Justin Field, Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, Kyle Trask, Ian Book, Smith, Wilson, King, Harris, Purdy. Some of these you could almost eliminate. Look, Purdy, Harris, even King after that loss— they're not even in this. I don't even think Smith is. Ian Book couldn't get here. Sure, he can get there because he's got a big win against Clemson, but he's got to do it a few more times. I still don't think he's going to be enough. Zach Wilson's a guy I'm going to push for. I'm going to push for, and I'm going to push for. We've seen this before, right? We watched Kellen Moore basically not lose a game in like four years in college. We watched his his great numbers. Zach Wilson's a, a probably... Not even probably. He's a better athlete, but is he going to get the attention? I don't think so. Kyle Trask? Nah, he's just not going to get the attention. This is between Fields, Jones, and Lawrence. And if you're knocking Trevor Lawrence for missing two games because of COVID, and that's where these numbers come from, missing two games because of COVID, you can't then say that Justin Fields, who didn't start play until November, is going to be the front runner. So, I mean, to me, this is you either believe that a shortened season or a not full complete season from Trevor Lawrence is going to be better, or you go on Mac Jones. Oh, by the way, though, Mac Jones is going to lose some time here, too. And that's where we are with the Heisman numbers. Speaking of missing time, look, I have got to get into college football, and unfortunately, it's the negatives. Because what we have here are the negatives of everybody coming out and uh, just losing games. 
Maryland, Ohio State was canceled. Eight players on Maryland tested positive for COVID in the last uh, week or so. Maryland AD DeMond Evans said the responsible thing for us to do is to post football activities given the number of positive cases in this situation. All right. So they paused. They paused their football operations. It's a bad blow. We miss out on Ohio State. Another Fields game that would be down. And this is why I'm telling you, you can't go out there and bet Fields. But there was more. Texas A&M will be unable to play. Why? Well, because two positive cases. Contract tracing has been ridiculous. Uh, Michigan State college basketball said Tom Izzo has it, so we wonder about college basketball. We have Arkansas head coach Sam Pittman tested positive. LSU has a COVID outbreak, looks like Alabama. LSU, that's done. A&M postpones practice. Uh, because of COVID. Mississippi State has a COVID outbreak. Now that game is now going to be December 12th against Auburn. So the SEC is just brutalized at this point. Missouri, by the way, unable to play because of contact tracing. And they're just brutalized. SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey said, I don't run the league based on Twitter. You know, I I think it's a little hostile for people that are just going out there and saying, "Well, well, what are you doing? You know, you're canceling all these games. Washington Cal last week canceled because of one. And I'm not going to sit on the fence here at all. I'm going to tell you my, my downright opinion. My opinion is these governors are out of their minds. Governor Cuomo is a maniac, lunatic dictator in New York. He has done the worst job in the country of the COVID outbreak. There's a reason to be safe. And then there's a reason that you get crazy. To cancel an entire you know, football game with 120 some odd kids, uh, staff members, coaches, officials, because one person has it is ridiculous to also sit there and then cheer in the streets. Right. And, and have marches and have all this. Look, you can't have it both ways. So the SEC is absolutely ravaged. The SEC can deal with one game not being played because they started from the beginning. Sure. The Big Ten can't. Are we going to have like a 6-0 and Ohio State in the college football playoff or 7-0 and Ohio State college football playoff? I mean, that's ridiculous, guys. You know, you look at, at Ohio State, and this is not to just, you know, completely drum up all kinds of anti-Ohio State stuff, but we have to. We have to look at Ohio State and you have to say, okay, look, what games did they have? What games will they have? How much is this going to impact them? I think it impacts them greatly. I think it does. I think you have to look at Ohio State and you have to say, you know, this is this is rough. This is a rough one. Ohio State losing a game here, we cannot look at in the same vein. Now, we had Charlie Ward on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he said, you know, it will bother him, but you know what? They got have to go in if they were going to go in. Ohio State was set to play eight games this year. Eight. Now, this one's canceled. How can you put Ohio State in a championship game with a 7-0? And that's that's assuming that there's no more cancellations. I fear for college football this year. I do. I fear for all of college football this season. And I don't know if it's going to move on. I don't know if college football is going to be able to survive the, the year. You know, you look at a situation where Trevor Lawrence has COVID. So Trevor Lawrence sits out, not the entire Clemson team. How how are you going to equate Clemson, who has a loss to Notre Dame, that's going to play 10 or 11 games, to a seven 
win Ohio State team? How is there a committee? Remember, we're going back to my original point about voting on things. How is a committee of voters going to evaluate the differences, the similarities, and the schedule breakdown of a team that didn't start until November, missed a game, and they go maybe 7-0? Against a team that goes, what, 10 and 1, 9 and 1, 10 and 1, whatever Clemson winds up? How can you possibly sit here and tell me that one is better than the other? You can't. And then you get into the situation with teams like Liberty, BYU, Cincinnati, these underground teams that I call them underground because they don't really have a chance at the college football four, but they should. These teams are going out there playing 10, 11 games. How are you going to give Ohio State? A free pass. And it's by no fault of Ohio State. I get that. But they're playing four less games in some cases. Four less games is a massive difference. So that brings me to what do we do on a betting angle? It's tough. I know a lot of guys that jumped on Alabama early in the week. And they jumped on Alabama at minus 22. When I say a lot of guys, I'm one of those guys. (laughs) Okay, I had Alabama at minus 22. The line went up to 24 and a half in about two days. Then it was 28 and a half. Then it was 29. Then it touched 30. And then the game was called. Now, I didn't bet Alabama minus a 22 because of COVID, because of concerns for LSU for COVID. I bet on it because I had heard that Miles Brennan was banged up, their starting quarterback. And I probably would have taken Alabama minus 22 anyway because LSU can't stop anybody. And Alabama's defense looked good last week. Then you look at Alabama. By no fault of their own, because it's an LSU breakout, they miss a game. So do we punish Alabama? I keep talking about punishing Ohio State. It's not Ohio State's fault. This is Maryland's fault. It's not Ohio State's fault. So I don't want it to seem like I'm putting the blame on anybody. But from a betting perspective, I'm a little frustrated. I'm frustrated in the situation from a football fan's perspective. And you could sit back and tell me, well, you know, you got to be, got to be safe, got to be safe. There's a difference between being safe, having an outbreak like in Maryland, seven players, eight players tested in seven days. Oh, absolutely, cancel it, get it. I totally get it. Or in Washington, Cowell, one person was infected. Or how about the San Francisco 49ers to take it a little step further? Last Thursday night, Kendrick Bourne, a wide receiver, comes down. That the entire team tests on Wednesday. On Wednesday, the entire team tests negative. Thursday comes out, Kendrick Bourne, a wide receiver on the San Francisco 49ers, tests positive. That means Kendrick Bourne cannot play. Also, oh, by the way, the offensive lineman that is his roommate can't play. Oh, by the way, he was too close to Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk because he does wide receiver drills with them. So all four of them missed the game. They get slaughtered. Okay. The next day, the entire team takes a test. Everyone Gets a negative, including Kendrick Bourne, who two days later takes it again. He's cleared perfectly fine. He never had it. So you lost four players, four starters on a game in the middle of the week on a Thursday on National Football because of a fake positive test. Matthew Stafford's been in COVID protocol three times this year. He's never had it. You know, something has to be done with this system. Let's go to a betting 
angle, I want to highlight a team here, and this is how I'm going to kind of end it off because we talk about the underground teams, and when you start to get the under-the-radar teams, the teams that nobody's paying attention to, um, you know, the teams that you, you look at the top 25 and you go, why is that team in the top 25? Well, you know what? In most cases, they're playing really good football, and you could still make some money on them. Usually, I always say, usually once the team gets into the top 25, uh, you start to lose some value. But this year, there's more people going, oh, I don't believe in that team, than there is believing. So, you know, you look at a team like Liberty. Yeah, they're in the top 25 at 7-0. and Oh, that's pretty cool. You look at a team like Marshall, 6-0. and Coastal Carolina is 7-0. and BYU is 8-0. and Cincinnati is 6-0. and So what team should we believe in that is up here? Look, Liberty just gave Hugh Freeze, uh, who everybody should know the name Hugh Freeze. They just gave him a contract extension. Hugh Freeze is going to be there for a while. His team's 7-0. and They gave him an extension until 2026. I believe in Liberty because of the competition that they play. It's not too good, but people are starting to realize who Liberty is. So maybe not the greatest betting team at this point. How about Coastal Carolina? I've talked to you guys uh, this year. My first bet of the year was on Coastal Carolina. I talked to you on the show multiple times. I've given out Coastal Carolina a few times on other networks where it's the Sports Garden Network, but it's on other stations. I've given them out. I like Coastal Carolina. And I think that people don't realize how good they are. I still think that... There's a little value, but probably not. They are a team that, when you look at the value aspect, they may have, uh, we'll call it, jumped the shark, right? You look at a team like BYU, this team with Wilson that I just talked about, now they're into not only the top 25, they're number eight. And people are saying around the country, well, maybe they'll push. Maybe they'll push Florida, Texas A&M, Clemson, the one-loss teams, to try to get into a college football playoff. BYU has been crushing the competition. Not winning, but crushing. I took them against Boise State on the road. They absolutely manhandled Boise State. And I think that was our last opportunity to buy low on them. That doesn't mean that they still can't cover. And I think that people will kind of still overlook them because they are an under-the-radar team. But BYU is a team to pay attention to. And then you look at Cincinnati. And Cincinnati is the team I wanted to highlight. They are number seven in the country. People are now kind of getting involved with Cincinnati. Okay, wait a minute. They went out there. They beat Houston 38-10. to An explosive offensive Houston team was held down. And people are kind of going with the Bearcats, and they're saying, all right, we now know that they're good. They're number seven in the country. Ah, but there still could be a buying opportunity because the totals, the Bearcats' defense is absolutely for real. The opponents against them this year, have scored 20, 10, 7, 13, 10, and 10 points. You might not get a favorable line with Cincinnati this year. You might not get that, but you still might be able to make money on their defense and on the unders. So you're starting to take a, a look at these under-the-radar teams. Coastal Carolina's against Troy this week. Middle Tennessee is against Marshall. I mentioned Marshall a couple of times. Their defense is absolutely for real as well. Liberty's against Western Carolina. South Alabama's against Louisiana. These are teams where you have to start to pay attention to, and you have to pay attention, and you have to say, you know what, I can make money certainly different ways. All right, guys, speaking of COVID, what I'm going to end it off with is Governor Murphy, New Jersey's governor, has adopted a new COVID restriction. That means if you're in the casinos, gaming operations can continue. You can continue to bet in the casinos, but at 10 p.m., there's no food or drink served. 
So you can still bet, you can still go to the sports book, but you can't get any more beer and you can't get any more hot dogs. You can't get any food or anything. That's kind of the restrictions that Governor Murphy's put out. I'm hearing that Celiac uh, over in Nevada is going to do the same similar thing. So if you're thinking about going to a casino, just know the rules this week. The sports book rules, they've changed. Make sure you, uh, you know, order a bucket of beers at 959 or whatever it might be uh, because the sports books will be open. They are just limiting. There will be any food or drink served after 10 p.m. So that's the show, guys. Look, COVID ran ravage and just rough shot over us in college football. I hope that it kind of calms down. Thank you again to Doc Holliday. That was a great interview in what should be an explosive game. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.